0: Are we
1: on? The panel you've been waiting for, (laughs) virtual reality. I am very emotional about virtual reality. Uh, And I got that way because I sat outside the demo room at Web Summit last year, and again at the Consumer Electronics Show this year, at both Oculus and other places. And I watched how people reacted as they came out of the demos. And every single person coming out of the demos used an expletive at Web Summit last year. And so I bought a 360-degree camera and started really studying this field. I went to uh, 20th Century Fox and met with Ted Shilwitz, the futurist there. Uh, I've made friends with uh, GoPros executives and Jaunt and other companies. Went to Rothenberg Ventures, who's uh, investing a lot of stuff in this and made lots of friends and had quite a few panels over the past few months like this. Most people uh, haven't experienced yet uh, a high-end, recent model headset. How many people have been to like a, a Valve demo in the last three months or an Oculus Rift demo in the last three months? If so you guys, this is a very advanced audience compared to <laughs> what most of my audiences are. and Which tells you something. People who have not tried it, poo poo it, and turn to you and say, why would I ever wear something that looks so dorky to experience a music video or a movie or play a game or something like that? But the minute they get out of a 10 minute demo with Valve or Oculus, they uh, go, okay, I get it. <laughs> and that's where I want to start out. Let's just set some context for what's, what are the distribution platforms that are coming uh, and how big do we want to think it's going to be? Because if if people don't have headsets, uh, the rest of this panel won't matter, right? But first, let's introduce each other. Uh, maybe spend 20 seconds explaining or 30 seconds explaining who you are and why you got on this panel? <laughs>
2: yeah, hi, my name is Deepak Patel. I um, run a division of Western Digital called um, G Technology. Um, we focus on uh, media entertainment storage solutions, obviously for uh, for content creators. My interest in uh, VR spans beyond just G technology, where we're interested in just supporting next generation content creators and storytellers, but also. Personally, I'm an investor and um, investing in a company called Zeality, which is a, uh, a distribution platform for content creators uh, in the VR space.
0: I'm Chelsea Mason. I am the digital marketing manager at the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And as some of you may know, we recently launched our own virtual reality app. The app itself was called Orchestra VR, which is available in the Samsung Gear VR store, Oculus Share, and newly on YouTube. Um, And we loaded this app up into a van that was outfitted to look like Walt Disney Concert Hall. And we toured it around Los Angeles for six weeks. It was a completely free experience. We brought it around to a lot of underserved communities, a lot of new audiences. It was a really big outreach project for us. And so, I'm really excited to be here and tell you more about how we used virtual reality as an audience engagement tool.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Laurent Skelly, I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Red Pill. And I have about 24 years of VR experience. I left France uh, at age 24 because I saw the lawnmower man and I said, I'm gonna build that. That sounds cool. And, uh, Through that uh, 24-year span, I started four VR companies. Uh, The last one built really advanced uh, multi-user VR simulation uh, solutions for the US Army. I had the pleasure to introduce Brendan and Palmer, who started Oculus. And um, the last two years, uh, I essentially had the luxury to be able to focus on the two things I love the most. The first, clearly VR. The second, music. And uh, I've put a lot of thoughts as to how do we bring music into the world of VR. And uh, essentially, I'm building a whole analysis, deconstruction, demixing platform to visualize music in an emotionally relevant way. So you can actually see instruments instead of just frequencies. So I can tell you more about that, but that's my background.
1: Yeah, I'm Robert Scoble. Uh, Rackspace (laughs) asked me to go study the future, which means I do branding. And last week I was hanging out with uh, brand uh, people from Anheuser-Busch and Absolute Vodka and uh, Sutter Home Wineries, uh, people with- I'm big seeing d- a trend, man. Uh, uh, there's a trend. I'm an alcoholic and I can't drink, so they say, oh, you're not gonna drink our profits anymore, so uh, you better Alcohol. work for us. <laughs> Uh, but I was hanging out with American Airlines and stuff like that, too. Um, these, these brands are very interested in VR uh, be, because it lets them do a new kind of experiential marketing. We can talk about that later. Um, you know, I, I, Siri was launched in my son's bedroom, so I study uh, people like um, Laurent, who's, who builds the future. And then I love music. I was at a music festival all weekend, so I uh, hang out with uh, cool musicians. So uh, to wrap that up, so uh, let's just talk about distribution. Um, You know, um, at the bottom end, um, uh, the New York Times just released a million of these Google Cardboard uh, headsets, and Absolute actually took the open source plans and distributed a bunch to their... Customers, and I'm hearing a lot of that kind of thing. I think you're going to get 15 headsets by the end of next year. It's going to be like the new AOL CD, if anybody remembers those things, right? And in the middle, and there's a whole bunch of mobile focused ones. Like I have the, I should have brought it in, but I have the Merge VR that you put your phone into, and then you can look around. You guys have some uh, Samsung Gear VRs in the front row, and Ion VR has. you know, these are all in the 100 to $200 range. And then at the high end, we have uh, Oculus and Valve and Sony PlayStation VR. Most of the, uh, on this date, most of the insiders I talked to think it's a two-horse race between Oculus and, and um, Valve. But Sony's, Sony's in there, too. They have a lot of content. So we might have to buy three really expensive headsets just to be cool enough for all the neighborhood kids, right? Um, These are $1,500 systems, right? Because you have to have a PC with a tether to a headset. And soon you're going to need the controllers. And I I, I visited Oculus Rift's uh, headquarters at Facebook. And uh, they put it on me. And they gave me two controllers in my hands. And uh, a guy went next door and put on his. And I could see him across the table. And I could punch him. I could shoot him. I could throw a football at him. I could uh, do an arrow and pluck that. I could play ping pong with him back and forth. (laughs) You know, violence and all that is fun. But, you know, we can play ping pong. We can manipulate toys like they had a toy train on the table, and we could play with that together. So it's mind-blowing. Right when you're in one of these social experiences, you guys have had some of that kind of experience. Tell me, uh, did I lay out the context of the distribution well enough or are there holes in what I said? I, I mean, I think there's
2: there's distribution and then there's consumerization. They're almost two separate things. Um, there's a fundamentally um, cons- user experience and all this is kind of being disrupted as we speak. Is it content? Is it gaming? Is it some measure of both? Yeah. Um, and, and how that gets experienced is through a variety of distribution platforms, whether it's software platforms for, I mean, most people on the planet don't even know they can do this, right? You know, let alone putting on a head mounted display and experiencing it in different ways. So I think, you know, when we think about distribution, there's distribution of content and engaging with that content in new and interesting ways. In terms of consumerization, There's consumerization efforts as it relates to products that are coming out, whether it's the Sony Morpheus, or Oculus, or HTC stuff, or whatever, Samsung Gear VR. I honestly think the fact that the install base for PlayStation is so wide that they may actually have a better chance of going to market with consumer products, because one, they're Sony, and they already have a game platform to go create user experiences. So then the question becomes a big battle between Hollywood and Silicon Valley and who the fuck knows who's going to win that one, right? Which is um, content and valuing creative and then valuing innovation. And there's, a ultimate, there's a collision between those two that's happening right now.
3: I think it's important to, to, to maybe set a little bit of a stage here. Um, VR, it's the second time that it, it's coming up. And... Um, this time is very different. Uh, since the Oculus Kickstarter campaign, right there's about um, $870 million that's been invested in a variety of VR companies. So there's tons of VR companies being erected every day. There's 200,000 development kits by Oculus alone that have been sold. Um, those are extraordinary numbers. And there's nothing in the market just yet. Um, Sure, we have predictions, um, talking about distribution platform to address your point, um, really the game from a hardware perspective is not to sell hardware, is to build a distribution platform. So, uh, Valve has 100 million gamers and they have Steam platform, that's their distribution platforms, uh, that's their competitive advantage. Facebook, clearly has quite a bit of an infrastructure. And they're building the Oculus Home, which is a distribution platform for VR content uh, that works with the Oculus head-mounted display. Uh, Same with the Gear VR, which is uh, essentially a licensing of Oculus Tech. And you have an Oculus Home for the mobile platform. So that's how the content gets distributed. Uh, The cut is typically 70% for the content developers and 30% for the platform, the distribution platform.
1: AI the model.
3: Exactly. So, 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 so that's kind of, you know, the, the, the ground rules. Uh, fundamentally, there's something, you know, there's a few of you that raise your hands about uh, having experienced Vive and the latest Oculus. And it's really important because this, are, this is essentially the, the platforms that cross the threshold of presence. And that's this magic that we're talking about in VR. And until and unless you've experienced that, there's no words, no video, no, no articles that can actually tell you what this is, because this is the first experiential medium. For the first time in human history, you're no longer metabolizing information that comes through a book or through a movie or through a, uh, any other mediums that exist. Uh, you are directly perceiving information uh, through your five senses, mainly two for now. Uh, and that's really VR, a- and that is pretty much magical. And uh, certainly, when technology reached that level, uh, it disappears. Yeah. And so ultimately, the, the holy grail of VR is the technology goes away, and we naturally interact with digital content, which is, which, which is, has this very deep ramification in how we communicate, and how we learn, and how we get entertained. And it's going to ultimately affect us in, in meaningful ways, I think. Um, and one of the things that I thought was Quite, quite interesting, is music, which is a highly emotional medium, is not really well represented in the applications that are being developed right now in VR. Yeah, and I, explain I, I, why what, what you mean by that because this audience is very interested in what you just said. I mean, it, it, there's you know clearly gaming is uh, the majority. Uh, uh, of the applications are being developed, although the yeah. part of understand, It's to, the obvious first thing. We want a driving
1: game, a flying game, a shooting game. You know, there's a bunch
3: of gaming content that's being built, and that's the primary market. Um, there are developers in, in literally every single industries, uh, from medical to education to defense to architectural to uh, to, to movies to you name it. Uh, so, uh, but one would think that music. Uh, would be uh, well represented, yeah. um, and there are some really cool stuff that 's been done, but you know it's it 's a small minority
1: now most of the sizzle reels from jaunt who makes these cool uh, really expensive cameras or NextVR or uh, even the headset they all have music, so uh, um, You're trying to differentiate from capturing a a music performance like at Coachella or something with a a 360-degree camera and maybe four or eight microphones to something else. Where are you going with
3: this? Okay, so uh, basically there's two types of of content for VR, right? You've got the live-action content, uh, whether you put a camera and you capture a, a, a live environment. Um, and we can talk about that and some of the restrictions and some of the problems. And then you have uh, computer-generated visuals. So it's real-time. Uh, in the case of presence, there are certain rules, you need to have 90 frames per second. Uh, there are certain things that need to happen in order to have this perception of uh, this world that is, that is anchored uh, physically around you. Uh, so those are two main categories of content. Uh, There's mainly what I've seen in in music based content has been of the former. Uh, You put a a camera somewhere and you capture. There's a really interesting piece from Paul and Felix uh, uh, that captured this really intimate moment with this musician uh, in Montreal and you see him really go through his creation process and you're in his loft and that's just really like you're sharing that moment with him. That's really amazing. Um, I'd love to see more of that. Uh, c- clearly, the presence right now is achieved not in live action but in CG content, real, real-time CG content. That's where you, you cross that threshold of presence. Mm. And in, in that world, there's very little that I have seen. Uh, there's a you know, few things that uh, are interesting. There's a great music visualization like Surge uh, that, that I like quite a bit. Uh, but there's, there's, you know, it would be nice to, to see more efforts.
1: He, it seems like you're defi- defining a new art form. I mean, I, I've been to Coachella in the Sahara tent and uh, where you have these LED screens all around you and lasers and, and uh, surround sound, you know, multi-channel sound so Skrillex can put sound uh, uh, instrument playing over here and then over here, right? Sure. And, and it's all very enjoyable. But it sounds like you're trying to describe a world that's more like Minecraft, where I build a virtual world and I can make that world react to the music and do things, put, put video uh, layers on it. Is that where I'm going? And Then I'm going to take it to the orchestra, because I think she's chomping at the bit to build something like this, right?
3: <laughs> I mean, well, if you're asking what I'm building, yeah. uh, I'm building a platform that I've never actually talked about. It's the first time that I'm talking about it. Uh, But I spent two years building this technology that deconstructs stereo into stem in real time and analyze the stem so you can create uh, visuals that are correlated to the actual instrument. Uh, So it's a a music platform that musicians could create, curated experiences, Uh, DJs or musicians can do live events and have a visuals that are correlated by instruments. Um, or you could essentially paint with VR by listening to SoundCloud or Pandora, uh, because the system would be intelligent enough to kind of separate the information and drive visuals that you could pick from a library. So that's, that's uh, something that's in development. Uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, not just from the visual side, but also from the, from the audio side to create very compelling music experience. VR offers positional audio. The visuals can change the perception of uh, the, the, the audio. So I think that's a whole open world uh, for uh, music content creators to kind of explore. Uh, there's a lot to
0: explore there.
1: And you you built an early kind of experience like this for the orchestra. Are you excited by this? Is this where you're... I'm super
0: excited about this, and I'm excited about a lot of the other things that I've been seeing in VR and where it's going. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with what exactly orchestra VR was, is we took the first four minutes of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which everybody knows. It's a da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, like everybody knows this piece. But maybe they've never seen an orchestra perform it. They don't necessarily have that firsthand experience of going to an orchestra. And so we wanted to make an experience that allowed people to do that, even if they couldn't make it to Walt Disney Concert Hall. And right now, all you need is YouTube on your phone, you know, at kind of the simplest level to experience this app, which we think is spectacular. Um, but what we really wanted to do was create kind of a heightened sense of what it's like to go to an orchestral concert. And so we set up these fabulous cameras all over Walt Disney Concert Hall in different points, and throughout the experience, it actually moves you throughout the concert hall and puts you in different perspectives that you might never be able to see even if you do attend the concert hall. At one point, you are facing the conductor with the orchestra behind you. But since you've got the virtual reality environment, you can actually turn around and look at the orchestra behind you. You can look up, you can look down at the floor. It's not very interesting there, but you can really kind of get this immersive experience. And then we also laid on top of it these visualizations that you know kind of accent the music. But all of this was done over a couple months. It was very labor intensive. Um, and we had to lay that over the video that we shot that we then had to stitch together. And so the prospect of being able to do this in real time is super exciting. Um, And then kind of on the other spectrum, the prospect of being able to simply live stream things is very exciting. Um, We're always looking for new opportunities to engage audiences who might be on the other side of the world to just get people excited about orchestral music because For a lot of people, once you get them inside the concert hall to experience it, they're like, oh, wow, I actually do like going to the symphony. A lot of people may not think that until they get into the concert hall. And so virtual reality is a really great opportunity for us to get people into the concert hall at maybe something that's a little more easier for them to get to. you know. Downtown LA is not a fun place to try to get to. (laughs) Uh, So that's actually one of the biggest barriers we face. We do all these focus groups. We're talking to potential ticket buyers out in Santa Monica. For those who don't live in LA, depending on traffic, it can take you an hour to get to downtown from Santa Monica. Without traffic, it's like 15, 20 minutes, depending on how fast you're driving. But for a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to go to the Phil for the longest time. It's just such a slog to get there. And so this is really an opportunity for us to get this in front of people and get them excited about coming and then actually get a ticket uh, and come experience it.
1: Absolute Vodka did something very similar where they took a, a series of cameras in and filmed Bob Moses they actually lear- they saw that Bob Moses sold out his concerts and only a few thousand people could experience mm-hmm. a live Bob Moses concert. And so they held a, co- a contest for uh, giving away three of these uh, G- Google Cardboard style headsets with absolute branding on them. And they had 15,000 uh, uh, contestants. Mm-hmm. They gave away 5,000 of these sets and they found that the average time spent in this was 19 minutes which they said was extraordinary for a brand like this to have that kind of uh, engagement with their users. And so they're going to invest in more of these. (laughs) And I assume you're going to invest in more of these,
0: Absolutely. I mean, 19 minutes is spectacular. I mean, you look at any, you know, the average for your YouTube analytics and things like that, or even for those of you uploading content to Facebook, you know the drop-off rate just goes boom, and so to hear 19 minutes is just mind-blowing. Keeping people engaged in your experience longer because there is more to see. You know you're, you know you're on YouTube, and here's what you can see. And this
1: isn't even with your fun
0: platform, this is, yet. This is just <laughs> this video. Is a, yeah, this know? is just a, there, a
1: couple of GoPros, there is right? A,
3: there's a huge value from a brand perspective to actually uh, allow an experience. To, uh, 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 to be shared, and the a brand identity to be communicated in a very different way than it currently does. Um, and, and there's a lot of creativity that I think need to go into that, so so that it's not just this blatant banner uh, or this really obvious and obnoxious thing in front of you. It's, it's integrated into the experience, and, and it, it carries Uh, the messaging of the brand is in a a lot more profound way without really being in your face. So I think VR offers that opportunity, especially if you spend 19 minutes somewhere, um, you can have the opportunity to do that. uh, uh,
1: Last week I talked to Rob Thomas and he's very excited because he knows most of his fans can't come to a concert and certainly if they do, they're not in the front row. And so even if you're in the back row, you want to experience the concert uh, uh, this way with with uh, GoPro cameras or with jaunt cameras or whatever. Um, should we switch to talking about cameras or do you uh, do you yeah. want to get involved here?
2: No, I mean, I think um, in terms of brand engagement, I, I think you're right. I, everybody's looking at how to converge content creation, tastemakers and influencers and brands because really the intersection of all those three is the opportunity to disrupt business models and in the end you you know, somebody should be talking
1: about how we make money with this thing, right? Um, Well, you think of a a Taylor Swift fan. You know, I I, I went to one of her concerts, and uh, these 13-, 14-year-old girls are really excited about her, Uh, and they pay uh, a lot of money. I I know one guy who flew from Texas with with his daughter and, and spent thousands of dollars to s- see this experience, they would sign up for another $300, $400 for uh, a VR subscription to all the rest of our concerts. And right?
2: I, I think that's really where, you know, if we layer on the amount of kind of opportunities to reinvent rules, that's kind of where we start seeing, right? Reinventing of um, the very art of storytelling. Now I went from line of sight to full immersion, right? So all of a sudden dire- the director can't be in the shot right um distribution consumerization all that's being disrupted but now business models are being disrupted investment models are being disrupted so if you look look at the litany of companies that are being invested in quite frankly there's a there's a kind of a schizophrenic kind of company model that's out there there's a company that does production it does platform it does this it does innovation it makes freaking cameras and holy crap like where's the actual focus so um and I think you know people are actually just throwing money at those things because they have we have no idea.
1: Well, it, let's talk about cameras because you have a little expertise here. Uh, you know, I, the Jaunt camera has, I think, what, 18 lenses around it and captures a lot of data. And they're actually uh, putting that data up in the cloud and building a 3D point cast model of the room. That's something they haven't really disclosed too much yet. But these things are uh, starting to build virtual, uh, 3D models of where they are so that you can do virtual cameras and you can do uh, replacement of uh, bitmaps and all sorts of fun things well, as it, a I mean, cinematographer, right? It, it,
2: there's, there's the idea of positional cameras and then there's also the ability to actually um, allow you to move around the space, which is some of the mm-hmm. stuff that you're talking about, which is fully kind of digitizing the space in full yeah. Z-depth.
3: So you can't really move around the space with a live action, so... Well,
2: actually, there's a bunch of companies that are being invested in right now. Like, there's a company down in LA called Magnopus. They literally are building a freaking holodeck, right? I mean, so you can move around a virtual space. Um, There's this thing called The Void out in Utah, which is an amusement park, which is full VR, I mean, you've probably seen that. Yeah, I've so been to the people. void,
3: I, I know what you're talking about, but yeah. there's, I think, it, I think it's important to set kind of some technology limitations and understanding. Um, most of the live action uh, uh, technologies today are three degrees of freedom. So um, you could be 3D or 2D, but it's from a fixed point in space that you're looking around, right? Um, that's 99% of the stuff that you see right now. Yeah, if you have um, a
1: Ricoh Theta camera yeah. and you hold it up, you're you're viewing the world from that
3: point. there, there is you know whether you have uh, you know one lens, uh, 20 lens, uh, multiple cameras. That these you are know, all kinds of configuration, but it's the same concept. Um, uh, ultimately, that has a whole lot of problems. Uh, there is an average IPD between the two eyes, uh, so there is uh, eye strain. There is stitching issues. There's 3D issues. There's resolution issues because you're unwrapping the entire uh, video from the codec into, you know, essentially a small section that you're seeing and you're blowing that up. So you have about two and a half times the resolution less than the actual pixel of the screen. Lots of different problems. Um, Ultimately for live action you want six degrees of freedom, you want something that's comfortable and there's very, very few um, of of these cameras or some of that research and and clearly Lytra last week announced uh, one of these cameras and I invite you to look at it if you're interested in live action Um, uh, and if you know the whole Oculus history, I would kind of equate the state of uh, live action to DK1 and uh, uh, you need to get to the latest version uh, to have really a sense of comfort into a live-action-based world. Uh, there's a bunch of technologies that allows us to capture real-world environments. Uh, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're static, and so you can navigate through a static uh, real-world environment that exists. Um, and then there's a different pipeline, uh, which I like very much, uh, called photogrammetry, where you can actually have uh, Microsoft released... Uh, 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 technology, it's not available yet, uh, where you have about 100, uh, 160 cameras that are focusing on a user and it generates uh, basically a 3D model of that user with the mesh along with the textures that you can insert into a 3D world. So that gives you a really high fidelity photoreal performance within a real-time game engine which drives VR. Uh, and so you have all of the benefits of uh, video uh, and photorealism of a performer, yet all of the benefits of a virtual world that's real-time rendered, six degrees of freedom, you could walk around the performance. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting path as well. Uh, in the best case, in the light field array, you're still limited uh, in that one point in space. So you may be able to move your, your face you know maybe 50 centimeters in each direction at most um, but you can't really travel now that's going to change i'm sure at some point we'll be able to capture the entire point cloud of a of a video of an environment and we'll be able to traverse that in real time but that's that's quite far away and it's lots of data we have a
1: few minutes left so i i think we've sparked a conversation i hope uh, if you guys want to get involved with this yeah uh, wait for the microphone so that they can record it. Can you talk about some of the technologies that are on the horizon, like Magic Leap or HoloLens? Sure. And what you see for those? I can, I can kick it off, or you can. I, I you mean, know.
3: I would say that um, AR is very exciting. Uh, but there's a lot of technical hurdle to AR being uh, uh, widely adopted. Uh, a lot of these hurdles are going to be solved in VR. And additional hurdles need to be solved. In, um, in, in the AR world. Uh, clearly, so explain what AR, just in case anybody doesn't know what AR Augmented reality.
1: So um, you're looking through you're, a pair of glasses into the real world, and they're putting a virtual image
3: on top of the real world. Correct. You're overlaying computer graphics Inside a real world, um, uh, this, the state of the art in AR right now, like the HoloLens, is extremely small field of view. It's you know thirty odd degrees field of view, right? Uh, versus the uh, compelling element of presence is this ultra wide immersive uh, field of view. So. Um, uh, the form factor, the field of view is going to lend itself to a certain types of application. I happen to think that there's amazing application for the HoloLens for training and industrial applications, medical applications, but I don't really see someone playing Minecraft with the HoloLens the way it was actually displayed. Okay. Uh, I think you're going to need to... The demos
1: are overselling it,
3: aren't yeah, they? Yeah, clearly, yeah, because you're seeing the entire world. Uh, you know, from from a third-party perspective, but really as a first person, you only see, you know, this little thing here. So uh, you're going to need to to really cross a number of uh, technology barriers before you can actually have AR uh, as a, a as a consumer device that's widely adopted. Uh, it's going to be a huge business, but it's going to come after VR. Uh, so that's my take on this. Yeah, and I agree. <laughs>
1: To you
4: you guys were talking about adoption for this and um, kind of the possibilities for where it's going to go I think you're right 3D rendered is going to give you more possibilities than live action um, we're playing around with live action a lot because I saw this and said you know this live action video you don't even have to have a headset you were just holding your phone up and yeah. looking into a window in the world and I feel like that becomes a really big on ramp um, for people to start yeah, for people to start to use this. Because <laughs> then they first look at it like this, and then eventually they'll put it into their headset. And then at that point, maybe they start going deeper. Do you guys kind of agree with that? It also means you don't have to have a controller, which if you're yeah, mass market. I, I think there's
3: do. a there's a very large business for live action VR. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, so
1: My friend uh, runs innovation at the Golden State Warriors. They sell hundreds of thousands of jerseys to Chinese people. They're putting live 360 or 180 degree cameras on court side, and they're going to sell access to those cameras over in China, and it's going to be a sizable business. Um,
4: They even have kiosks in all of the shopping centers in China so people watch
1: it. Yeah. And, and I, at the Car race, I saw cameras that do 180 degrees uh, Peterson Automotive Museum that's being built in Los Angeles. When you walk in, there's going to be a VR display that goes ha- halfway around as you walk in. And it's done with, uh, I don't know, 10 GoPro cameras that they uh, are stitching together. So yeah. there's a lot of innovation, a lot of things coming. I, I like live a- action because I want to take you into Coachella, into the middle of the tent, and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is with a live-action GoPro camera st- set up, right? I mean, um. y- you know,
2: we have to be realistic about this thing, right? I mean, this is there's a long tail to this thing. We're building this thing for actually the next generation. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and she doesn't actually... I mean, her view of content is going to be completely different than ours. And so we can't imagine... What we're trying to build for now, we have to be imagining what we're building for the future. It's funny, my, you know, when she was two, she would literally walk up to the TV and start doing this, right? Like, like it can actually, like it's the phone. Um, my two-year-old is—he looks at a phone and just starts looking around like this, like expecting to look around, right? And so, um, there's billions of people that have smartphones, so that is the on-ramp. Down the road, there will be opportunities to walk around physical objects and those types of things, but there's a, there's a very long horizon to this thing.
1: Yeah. It
2: actually requires a a strong collaboration between creative and innovation.
1: Yeah. Uh, Philip Rosedale, who built Second Life, told me he way underestimated the long term of the web and way overestimated, overestimated the short term. And he said people are going to do the same thing with VR the short term, the next 18 months is gonna seem slow because how many people can get that 15 minute demo to turn into a raving lunatic like I am Mm -hmm. about this Mm -hmm. stuff, right? And maybe that number is 400,000 people. Maybe it's 100,000 people. But it's a finite number of people in the first year, right? But long term, that number is going to double every few months. And it's going to go crazy at some point.
5: Things
2: haven't even been invented yet, like haptic response. Like, How do you actually control something from within a virtual environment? There's still people Mm -hmm. working on that. I mean, yeah. sure you can have these this wacky table stops my numbers, hand right, right? It I mean, doesn't
1: stop my hand in virtual
2: reality right? Right. right so haptic response user authentication you know social engagement none, none of that stuff's kind of anybody's thinking about right now or they're thinking about it or you're actually in the audience right now thinking about it right? yeah so um,
0: and kind of to the flip side of what you're talking about the one thing that uh, we realized as we were building this app you know we built it for the gear vr we built it for the galaxy note 4 is that in now it's on other platforms but we know full well that what we built is going to be obsolete very quickly mm-hmm. you know this was really kind of a one shot opportunity for us to you know see what kind of quick hit we could get out of it and what kind of yeah. tail would come of it and that's why we were so excited to be able to get this on youtube now that YouTube is cardboard-enabled, because we have the opportunity. You know, a lot of people don't have this tech yet in their homes. You know, we want to reach as many people as we possibly can, and so we're excited to go where people are right now. And right now, that's, you know, people who have the Gear VR, it's people who are, have a cardboard or even don't have a cardboard because we have it in 360 on YouTube, you know, where it, it really, I think depends also what you want to achieve and how quickly you want to reach people who aren't the early adopters.
2: I'll actually flip that on you and say, it's not just 18 months because the content itself has a long tail, you know, because think about it. Spongebob is not in 360. There's the entire libraries of all video are not 360. Everything has to be reshot.
1: Well, everything. You don't need to You wanted to recreate that, right? You don't need to reshoot it. You're going to have new entertainment styles. That's right. And new stars, and new distribution companies, and new uh, brands that come along. I I talked to Discovery Channel last week, and they're investing in a new uh, 360 channel. Like they did for HD. Remember, yep. they did the first uh, HD video channels, and that's what got us all to buy the HD TVs. And uh, it's coming along. Yeah, yeah. I think no, it's no, important, no question. It's
3: important to note that this is a new medium, so you can't just take existing content and convert that to VR. It doesn't work with games. It doesn't work with movies. It doesn't work with, uh, with, 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 you know. It really you have to think about how to use that medium.
2: I, I know, but what I'm trying to do is describe that. Fundamental brands and franchises that are known have to reinvent themselves using the new medium.
1: Yeah. Right? So, yeah, even Call Call of Duty has to be reinvented. Call of Duty. Everything. Listen,
3: everyone right now is experimenting. And you're absolutely correct. Filmmakers are experimenting uh, that the visual grammar on how to tell a story, the, and the interactive grammar. Because uh, Ted Ted Schill was t-
1: showed me a movie where the movie's actor, actors changed their behavior based on where you looked. Right? We ha- we don't have movies like that. Movies we watch are
3: from start to finish, and uh, we don't
1: think of the movies changing I'll tell based you, on i you looking story, at that but, guy and
3: he's going to start speaking, right? So Oculus Story <laughs> Studio, for example, uh, is doing experimentation on how to tell a story using computer-generated uh, content, right? And the interesting part about one of the things they found out is that the length of these experiences is not fixed. The length is variable. And why is it variable? It's because we want to tell a story. So we're going to wait until you look in the direction we want you to wait to actually trigger that action. Right, So there's certain rules that are changing because of you know the the, the context of storytelling yeah. and the fact that we want to get your attention. So there's audio cues, visual cues, timing, weight. All these different things are now built into these experiences in order to carry the story. So uh, we have a few uh, guests who are going to come up. Let's
1: take Is- a couple more questions, and then we have to get the guests up here to uh, show you some cool stuff or talk to you about awesome. some
5: stuff. Uh, hey, I'm Jason Aswar. I hey, uh, also did uh, VR 20 years ago. and. Uh, you know, loved it, and then it crashed. And then I was in gaming for the next while, which is kind of where 3D, real-time 3D went. Uh, Now I'm working with uh, a couple of awesome folks, Tim Quirk, uh, who's at Google Music, and uh, Brian Calhoun. And um, we're building a platform that lets artists take their album and turn it into an app. But because we build it on real-time 3D uh, tech, uh, we also have the capability for 3D video, 360 video, that is to say, and uh, real-time graphic stuff. And so the way we're looking at it is, uh, how do we uh, service the needs of content creators and artists um, who are going to be both producing the traditional method and are bridging into this new way? And so that's kind of the question I'm putting to the panel. Like, as you guys are working in this space, what do you see as like, the biggest needs and like the best way for folks who are like, in our position to help address those needs? Uh,
3: so um, I use the Unreal Engine. Um, uh, which, which is the, the, the high-end authoring tool for, for VR right now. Um, it used to be very expensive to license, and in March, roughly, uh, uh, they made it free, 5% of uh, the revenue. Since March, there's about a million people who downloaded the Unreal Engine. So a lot of people are you know, amateurs or professionals learning that tool. Um, I think what we need to add is, as a value in a distribution platform is uh, essentially removing the barriers of entry, providing what I like to call Lego blocks that you could bring without really even understanding an engine like Unreal. like A lot of people are going to learn, and it's going to be awesome, and they're going to create content and contribute in more meaningful ways. But we want to have a lower barrier of entry. Uh, And I think that's what's going to really enlist uh, musicians and artists and DJs to actually contribute uh, to the VR revolution, is when the barriers of entry is dramatically lowered. Uh, And so that could happen in many different ways. Uh, So that's my take on this.
2: I think for you you should be thinking about um, reinventing economic models for your artists right and also interesting go to market uh, models effectively growth hacking it because what I'm hearing you saying is that you're you want to create um, allow artists to become brands of their own and and drive revenue and so you you fundamentally need to look at the economic models of how all of the players get, I mean, same money, just got to get divided up in new ways, in different ways, right? And um, and then how you can affect growth of that.
1: I think we have two or three guests, right? Uh, raise your hands if you're one of my guests. Come on up and uh, um, grab a microphone. There's spots right. over here that's true. There's two over here, Rob. Oh, go ahead. Over there, yeah. And introduce yourself, and uh, what are you doing in the VR space? Uh, yeah.
6: Hi, everyone. My name's Jason, and I'm in the uh, founding team and head business development for Interspace VR, and we're doing a uh, music VR experience. Uh, you can think of it like uh, Minecraft meets uh, Guitar Hero in VR. So you get to create your own tracks and share it with friends. Uh, we have a demo right outside so you can you know come and check it out. And it's called Playhead. Cool. Yeah.
4: cool. Uh, I'm Derek Brinkman and I'm the CEO of Sphere VR. Um, Sphere VR is a full-service VR studio. Um, our focus is really about making VR live-action accessible, um, both to people who have great content to put out there and also um, to the consumers for it. So you know, I had, I had asked that question about onboarding people. We definitely see live action as being a great onboard, um, a lot of mobile focused stuff. Um, so some of the first items that we've done, we're doing a Joan Jett um, live action app that's going to have a combination of uh, concert footage and also behind the scenes. One of the greatest things about some of the VR live, live action video that we can create is that it gives you access to places that you would otherwise never have access to go. Um, We kind of look at it like we invented a teleporter, but it doesn't work the way that we thought it would in Star Trek. We're teleporting experiences to you rather than teleporting you to experiences, so that's our focus.
7: Very cool. Cool. Sorry. Hi, I'm Alex Chung. I'm with Vantage TV, and we are focused on bringing great VR live events to fans. And so, what we want to do is really enable fans, whether they're at the event or they're not able to attend the event, with VR to gain better access. So, for people that are at the event, can we give them that best in the seat, uh, best best house in the seat experience, um, so that they can feel like they were actually in the front row? And then, for people that weren't able to attend the event for a variety of reasons, it cost too much, the timing of the concert. Um, the location of the concert wasn't in their area, they have kids, Um, maybe they're young and they can't afford it, you know, can we enable them to enjoy these events in an immersive way with their friends in a very social way? So we're enabling people to watch concerts and actually be able to chat with each other, up to 10 people in a group, and actually enjoy the concert together, as well as other social features that we're working on. We came out of stealth mode about four months ago, and we have done live streaming, Um, at music events at uh, Austin City Limits, uh, Lollapalooza, and Outside Lands. And we're working on our consumer-facing app, which will be coming out in December. And we're doing demos as well outside.
1: Very cool. To the three newcomers, did we not cover something that we should cover in the last few minutes?
7: I'd say one thing that I found, um, because we've given thousands of demos to users. And you know, I, I get a question once in a while where people say, well, you know, 3D TVs seem like it was a big push and a hot button a while ago. What's so different about VR and 3D TVs? And I'd say the big difference is that um, what I found and what we've experienced is that 3D TVs seem to be pushed more by OEM manufacturers and figuring out new ways to reasons to buy a new TV, whereas what we're experiencing is the people that experience VR um, love it. And it, it, it's overwhelming how excited they are for this experience, and they're craving content right now. And so I think, you know, being in the space right now, there's the advantage to take, uh, to look at the market that's very early and capitalize on that. Because right now, quite honestly, the, the bar is probably fairly low in terms of the experience that people are expecting. But that will change as the technology uh, advances and people build better and better experiences.
4: I I totally agree with the 3D TV piece where it didn't really change any of the content it didn't really change the experience that people have and then now VR it's completely changing the way that people are processing that uh, experience that they have and it's going to change the way that storytelling is done to your point around you know interactive storytelling and multi-threaded storytelling that happens
6: yeah I would say I'm really super excited about the um Collaboration between you know L.A. and uh, San Francisco, so the innovation and the creative, uh, you know, doing this stuff that you're doing, Laurent, that's awesome. Uh, you know, we've talked about working together, so let's make that happen. Actually, uh, we, we are.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, guys, you guys are. You guys are using my oh. tech in France.
6: <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm super excited about that, and uh, I think it's just going to continue to happen more and more, and uh, it's it's going to be it's great times.
0: Any other questions? I'm Ellie Lassick. hey Robert. Hi there. Um, so in general I haven't we talked about the long tail camera technology. So what uh, Chelsea, what cameras were you guys using? We used, let's see, we contracted a company called Secret Location, who mm-hmm. was fantastic and we really enjoyed working with them. Um, and they actually did all of that production for us. I believe what they were using, and you actually spoke with them, so you might actually know what, in more detail what they were using. But it was this crazy GoPro rig that I believe they custom made themselves. Yeah. Um, How many
1: cameras did they have? Do you remember? Was it six or 15?
0: Yeah. I think it was eight.
1: It was eight. 360 I have I, I have a, a Freedom 360 uh, 3D printed rig that costs about 700 bucks, and then you get six cameras, which is 3,000 dollars, and then you get color software to stitch the cameras together, which is almost 1,000 dollars. GoPro just bought that company. Um, and then you have to have a monopod or two, (laughs) and you have to have batteries, and you have to have battery chargers because you have to charge six GoPros without taking them out of the rig. So I spent so far about $5,500, and that's a pretty mid-end camera. Now the camera prices are about to go down because Sphericam is coming out with one for $1,500. and Rico Theta on the low end is under $500 with two lenses. And GoPro is coming out with two cameras in the next six months, uh, one that has two cameras, one that has one chip, and then the, the big one that has 18 lenses. I think they even added a new six-camera one that they're working on, too. So there's about to be an onslaught of new cameras coming out. On the high end, we sh- we should talk about uh, about that Lytro a little
3: bit more. By the way, so, Secret Location, won the first Emmy for VR.
0: It wasn't for ours, but mm. <laughs> we're, we're waiting to win a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. for our yeah. thing with
5: there them. You <laughs> <Thank you. But laughs> I just wanted to the point is like, clearly we still haven't found
0: one ubiquitous platform no, or no. camera that enables. I mean, it's and kind every, of crazy, right? Every Thank month, you.
1: literally, there's a new camera. I mean, in the last two weeks, we've seen John announce a new camera and uh, Litro. Lytro, um, for those who don't know, Litro came out of Stanford University and uh, uh, the DARPA project that they were trying to solve was uh, they wanted to see through bushes and they built a grid of cameras and algorithms to join those grids of cameras to see through the little light uh, p- pokes that are coming through a bush. And then they shrunk that down and they put little grids on top of sensors. And so they're capturing all the light that's coming off of the world into this, camera with a a, a bunch of sensors with these little uh, uh, lenses micro lenses on top of the sensors that split the rays into different pixels and so by turning on and off those pixels with a computer you can change focus you can change 3d you can change uh, all sorts of stuff and you can build a 3d model of the world right so so robert being part of a
2: hard drive company we like more data coming through. And there's right? a shitload of data shitload coming of off data. that light <laughs> truck. So, so there's also interesting, there's th- almost three parts of it. There's the sensor side of it, and there's innovation happening on the sensor side that allows you to do things like, you know, um, l- you know, aperture kind of um, sensing, but then there's also full Z-depth sensing um, chips that are uh, that are kind of being worked on right now. Yeah. Then there's the lens technology itself that allow you to actually get 360, Um, and then how do you actually get multiple sensors to actually work, can you use one sensor? So there's all that stuff happening. And then how much um, can you work, can you offload off of the computer and the processing to actually get the data, stitch it together live, and then get it out of the device. So all of that stuff, each individual component is being you know, there's innovation that's happening across all three of those. And then, people, there's some there's some early stuff, like the Lytro's still early, like kind of to your point, you said that yeah. it's kind of DK1 phase, but there's other stuff down the road. And again, this is five, six year arcs to this stuff, right?
1: Yeah, so it, so
2: that's kind of what's happening. We're there. at
1: the very beginning. Yeah, I mean,
2: things. I, I, w- I want to mm-hmm. capture one terabyte per frame, that's 60 pr- frames. So I mean, I that's what I can.
1: At Coachella last year, there was two 360 cameras. I had one of them. Right. Out of 200,000 people that ain't going to be the same next year no I want to create a different (laughs) problem
7: (laughs) so I mean I think for Vantage we try to take a a different view on the market and even though there's fantastic technology that's out there that's being developed that's being mentioned here right now we're looking for ways that we can make live events especially long-form content in (coughs) VR uh, accessible and ROI positive today for artists and promoters and so for us we're taking maybe a, a more humble view on kind of what technology we can use by leveraging existing 2D cameras uh, that are in market Um, you know right now at this point we're not doing stereoscopic um, because we're kind of weighing for what we're trying to do do we go for better resolution Um, or do we need 360, do we need stereoscopic? And right now we're finding from user feedback that leveraging existing 2D uh, UHD cameras that are available in market um, is working out pretty well so far, but certainly as the capture um, equipment, both on the hardware side and the software side improves, we'll be looking forward to that as well.
4: We find the same thing, that most of the people that look at the content that we're creating prefer to look at it in 2D rather than stereoscopic. And I think stereoscopic is going to improve over time, and it'll, less, it'll look less like a trick. Right now, it just kind of looks like a trick. You don't really get immersed into that world. Um, but it'll be interesting when the cameras and the software really start to meld together, and it <laughs> stops becoming a decision of, oh, which cameras am I going to use? And then what's the stitching software that I'm going to use? And it's one you know nice bundle that comes together, and Google's doing that, John's doing that, all of these companies are doing it. So I think that's gonna also result in a lot of creatives having a lot more accessibility to it. I mean, our company is a combination of a documentary filmmaker, uh, myself that comes from the tech world and product development for mobile applications and an entertainment executive, and you kinda have to have all of those pieces right now. Probably in another year and a half, two years, you don't need to have someone who's quite as technical there, and it'll be the creatives who can run with it on their own.
1: Uh, So, uh, this has been
4: really interesting and enlightening, (laughs) Um, but one thing has surprised me. As we talk about content and innovation, no one has mentioned porn. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a different conference
0: <laughs>
7: we
1: actually did talk about that we
0: did no, we did talk about
1: that we, we, we talk about it, sex and robots at H- in Half Moon Bay at the Ritz every Friday night because uh, me and Andy Andy is my best friend he built, was one of the 12 guys who built the iPhone and we talk about it all the time but that's probably a different conference <laughs>
4: okay, no, but that's really a serious question yeah, because I I've worked with another agency when they were doing research how to do it really cheap they looked at porn yeah and it made their research kind of weird at work but it it worked because they figured out to do it cheaply so have you guys worked with anyone
1: that you can talk about or seen any insights from that industry um they're all playing with the same exact tools that we've been talking about so multiple gopros in a little ball 3d printed forms we're waiting for the good cameras to come along.
3: I know some guys that are scanning uh, some uh, porn models right now, and um, you know modeling applications. Uh, there's, I don't know a whole lot of uh, guys in in that industry, but I I know probably three or four that are starting projects around VR porn. Uh, uh, some are video based, and some are CG with full you know, capture. Uh, 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 So, uh, but I haven't seen uh, end products just yet.
2: This is also one of those that you know, content creation um, is being disrupted. So, I mean, I'll I'll go there, which is like line of sight shooting is very different than full 360. So now all of a sudden, what are you writing for? And you know, so now all of a sudden, content creation, the storytelling aspect, or whatever you're shooting, um, actually has to be
1: thought of.
7: if you're going to watch
2: a screen it's going to be here
7: if
1: we flip into into the other conference uh, they're uh, thinking about how to use sensors because when uh, you talk about porn you're talking about touch and haptics and teledildonics and all sorts of fun things
0: that's a new word teledildonics
1: (laughs) Uh, look it up on google (laughs) you'll find a whole bunch about it But what let's what go back to after VR
0: 5 PM, it? Um, so
8: coming back to uh, music and, and technology music. <laughs> um, You know, you guys have spoken a lot about virtual reality, about the technology, about some of the ways in which you're using it, but speaking to a room that presumably has you know record label executives and/or publishers or people from the rights management community, yeah. um, what has your experience been? maybe for some of you that are working in music and capturing live content or creating uh, you know, content or capturing B-roll or unique experiences around music. Um, what's, what's the experience been working with the industry? What is the knowledge base of the rights holders as far as it pertains to VR? You speak about people that have a perception of VR before they've tried it and, and an experiential then perception post having actually experienced the technology yeah. are you walking into licensing conversations that are these looking much like a DVD uh, a hybrid between what one would license a DVD and then with sort of an app layer over that where there's a rev share beyond just the traditional you know two-dimensional right. video and then as you get into capturing live content you're talking about being at Coachella right you've got yeah. Golden Voice and AEG to deal with. You've got presumably dozens of music publishers if not hundreds. You've got master rights holders that although you're not essentially using the masters they've created, you are potentially infringing upon their exclusive agreements with those recording artists. So you now have and potentially, YouTube. yeah. YouTube, YouTube has, has exclusive the exclusive right to, to distribute. Now they didn't of these let me festivals. jack into the
1: soundboard. Yeah, um, so <laughs> they did let me carry the camera, and I got permission to do that. But yeah. they didn't give me permission to jack into the soundboard because that's YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Owns so that.
8: YouTube has bought those rights, right? Yeah. So you're now potentially dealing with what is the most arduous and and yep. you know complicated, uh, and to put it lightly, you know. Uh, very sort of too many chefs in the kitchen type of arrangements. Uh, I, how are you guys dealing with that? What's your experience been I, dealing with the industry? How are you? I'll kick it, it? off because
1: I was just hanging out with some of the, uh, the top music uh, executives at Live I in the, the right in Yeah America. at Live <laughs> at Live in the Vineyard with Claire Parr, and they're all very interested. Uh, they're going to treat it probably like they treat video rights, but again there's conflicts there right because golden voice has already given away the video rights to or sold the video rights to youtube and now i come in with my camera and it's like oh wait a second that's video across the
8: country they're going to charge initiation or origination fees or yeah but they're they're going
1: to be treating it like uh they do with the the video rights like youtube because it's it's going to be on youtube it's going to be on facebook right that's how you're going to distribute these things so they're they're very interested in this and they want the high-end ones want to protect the ability to uh, have a, a, a subscription model because uh, the Taylor Swifts and, the, and and those people realize this is a new uh, platform coming that's going to be very interesting to their fans, and they want to monetize it differently than YouTube. So there'll be some resistance from some of the higher-end ones for sure. I mean, I, I mean,
2: to your point, it, this is an opportunity to treat some of this content as premium and rewrite the rules from the beginning. So this could get bloody, actually. Primarily because um, all of the stakeholders that you just described have a lot of influence. And then you throw in brand activation in the middle of it. Then all of a sudden, no, who actually owns the rights of content? And um, when you get distribution, content distribution networks trying to also earn, like, own the rights to um, just the sound feeds but not the video feeds, now all of a sudden that gets interesting too. So I, I have a feeling this could get pretty ugly pretty quickly. That's why, you know, um, it, it all re- relies on the use of content after the fact. If you, if you start with the notion of having con- this type of content used as promotional or market-driven to try to create user or community engagement, that's one thing. If you start to try to um, create premium services or content where you're driving revenue and new business models, it's a whole different thing.
8: Yeah, and, and most of the businesses that have tried this in some form or fashion, be it through app distribution or through, you know, uh, dating years ago, not VR specifically, but just the capture and distribution of live content. The reason it works for YouTube is because they're YouTube, uh, and because they have the financial backing of Google and the distribution of you know of billions of people. I'm so th- so they can go in and, and solve a lot of the problems with all the various stakeholders because they have the financial means and the distribution and it's easy to say oh yeah google people will go on youtube and watch if you're a startup in this space i just am curious for you guys how you're tackling that
2: with your youtube comment though i'm seeing a quiet kind of like groundswell of people who are starting to hate youtube you know primarily because there's video of cats up there and then there's merged with like you know premium content so there's a lot of, there's, uh, but there's kind of a, a quiet... One the else biggest our, distribution. Yeah. No, one else, I mean, no
8: one else I, in the room can put Coachella uh, on their front page and have the magnitude no question volume of, of influence that YouTube has. Yeah,
4: yeah I, 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 I don't... think that's a fact. I don't see people hating YouTube. I see people... Uh, YouTube has the biggest audience that there is, so it's an, uh, it's an excellent opportunity That is the perspective of content. Silicon Valley, right?
2: I agree with that. But well, when the, you go down... It, it wouldn't have and, a big
4: audience if people hated it.
2: No, I'm not, I'm not debating. I'm just sharing with you... What we're hearing, like across right. everything, right? So I spoke at Digital Hollywood last two weeks ago, and there's a lot of people down there that fundamentally, you know, yeah, And that's why I'm saying there's an I epic battle. I thought you were battle.
4: talking about
2: the audience. No, no, no. I'm uh, talking about an okay. epic. There, there's an epic battle between Hollywood and Silicon Valley right now, right? Around content and rights and revenue and rev share and yep. licensing.
6: You know, I mean, we're right in the middle of that right now. We've had a lot of interest. Of uh, different artists who have come to us and said, uh, "Why don't we collaborate uh, musically?" And then we can do something, you know, amazing. And the conversation is, uh, "Do we do a joint venture? Do we do a licensing thing where people download your song for 99 cents within the experience?" Um, all of that is, you know, we're battling it out as it is. So we have no idea yeah. how it's going to turn out. But so, um, so we're already six I,
1: minutes over time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was actually curious to hear from you, because you guys,
8: yeah. it sounds like Vantage. Can we have one, so, one last question, one
1: yeah. last answer, and then uh, we, we, we'll be around. So this, yeah. this will be a multi-year conversation <laughs> <laughs> between all of us, for yeah. sure. So yeah.
7: just real quickly for Vantage, I mean, we've been lucky enough to work in close conjunction at the events with uh, Samsung, which has been a major sponsor that has had certain rights access to live stream the event, yep. as well as working in ch- conjunction with C3 Presents. Uh, In terms of like VOD, I think you're right, I think it is complex. I think that YouTube, the way that I hopefully view YouTube in the future is that it's a fantastic marketing channel to let people know that yep. this VR content it exists, but hopefully there'll be better channels like Vantage where artists and promoters and uh, labels can monetize the content better and, and, and be treated more like a premium piece of content.
4: And turn it into branded content so that you're doing a deal with a brand and putting those two things together, putting it out there onto a YouTube, not trying to ask the consumer to pay for it.
8: Overlacing all the rights holders around something they're all interested in, Yeah.
4: Yeah, exactly, because then they know what they're going to get paid up front, too, because one of the biggest problems is trying to have that conversation when nobody knows what the real market viability is.
7: And I I think Advantage, what we're trying to do, is create a platform where we build an audience over time of fans that love different artists, and so the next time you're coming out with a content piece, you've got a better channel to leverage for community. So that's our goal.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. This has been great, great conversation.